And Dom cracks one deep right center. Back toward the wall. It's out of here. Dom Smith back from the injured list. His first at bat in two months. And he hits a walk-off home run in the season's final game. <laughs> oh, how great is this? The never-say-die Mets finish the season on an incredible note. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Simply Amazing, the official New York Mets podcast of Gotham Sports Network in collaboration with the fine folks over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. My name is Andrew Claudio, and for the final time here on this network, here on this podcast, and for the 2019 season, we are here to talk about this baseball team. Uh, we're going to recap the 2019 Mets by handing out a dozen awards. I think it's actually 13 to be exact, and it's not your traditional awards. We have some very creative names that we came up with to celebrate the 2019 season, and that's what this should be, a celebration. I know a lot of us are disappointed that the Mets did not make the playoffs. I certainly am. They fell just short, just three games. I know all of us can point to three or four or seven games uh, that may or may not have been finished by Edwin Diaz uh, that we can point to that the Mets should have won. But in the end, as you heard in the open, the never-say-die New York Mets gave us so many highs throughout the year. And while we are going to talk about some of the lows, we are going to also celebrate some of those moments. So joining me to do so, to wrap up the 2019 season, is my partner in crime over the last few months talking about this baseball team. And I'm also happy to say my good friend, it's Mr. Tim Ryder. Tim! How you doing, buddy? We made it to the end of the year. We did. We did. Hell of a season. Absolutely. Hell of a season indeed. Um, so like I said in the intro, guys, we got a jam-packed show for you. Full disclosure, time of recording is about 7.05 here on Monday night. Uh, Monday, the day after the season ended. So it's, it's September 30th. Yeah, playoffs start tomorrow. Um, go Brewers. We are going to release this, I think, sometime on Wednesday. So if some news happens, if the Mets do fire Mickey or announce that they're keeping Mickey, we obviously did not react to it in time because it happened in between when we recorded and when this episode came out. So here's to the Mets hopefully not ruining the release of this episode with some breaking news. Please just do that for me, guys. If, if you're going to not do it the day after the season, don't do it two days after. Do it next week, like for some reason you are reportedly planned to do. Um, but I, just a full disclosure, a little programming note, we are recording this on Monday night. So any breaking news that happens over the next two days, obviously, uh, Tim and the MMO guys will have coverage of it and maybe even a, an emergency episode after the fact. Um, all right, but let's get into it. Tim, are you ready to hand out the official Simply Amazing Awards of 2019? I am. We start with the Rookie of the Year. Now, fully aware that it is ridiculous that the eventual 2019 National League Rookie of the Year that set a record for home runs in a season by a rookie is not going to show up in this category uh, we did want to do a couple different things with this episode. Like I said, we're going to get a little creative. We opened the criteria for this award to anybody that spent 2019 
uh, as their first season in a Mets uniform, which makes it a couple different guys. You didn't necessarily have to be a rookie to qualify for this category. Also, what we tried to do in order to recognize as many guys as possible is make it so that guys didn't win multiple awards. I think there's only one player that actually takes home multiple awards from us on this episode. Um, We'll get to him in just a second, but... There's going to be an MVP, spoiler alert, at the end of this show. And you can imagine that the all-star rookie Arctic first baseman is going to show up there. So we'll save that for the end. But let's start with our rookie of the year for 2019. And I'll go ahead and start by giving out mine. And it's Justin Wilson. One, two, count. He struck him out. And the ball game is over. Justin Wilson with a four-out save. So protected for Zach Wheeler, Todd Frazier drives in all three runs, and the Mets have taken the first two of the series from the Diamondbacks. Wilson striking out Flores to end it, and the Mets win it 3-2. Here are the numbers on Justin Wilson. Uh, He had a 2.54 ERA for the season, only allowed four home runs, which is the lowest amongst relievers with a minimum of 20 innings pitched on the 2019 Mets. Uh, After the All-Star break, he had a 1.91 ERA, which was the fourth lowest among National League relievers with at least 25 innings pitched. Uh, And probably the most telling sign of his impact on the team in the 35 games that he appeared in uh, after he came off the disabled list in July, the Mets went 26 and nine over that stretch. Um Brody Van Wagenen got a lot of shit this year for some moves that did not pan out. Um, But one that absolutely looks like a bargain right now is Justin Wilson um, should deserve some MVP votes for how important he was to the run that this team went on in the second half of the season. So Justin Wilson, my 2019 rookie of the year. Oh, I think two years at 10 million is uh, is a hell of a bargain for what he brought to the table. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Tim, your rookie of the year. Uh, my rookie of the year, um, I guess it wasn't his rookie year, but I guess just barely. It was his first full season in the majors. Uh, J.D. Davis. And J.D. drives one toward the left field corner, and the Mets win it! Conforto comes home with a winning run! J.D. Davis with a walk-off hit, and the Mets rally for two in the bottom of the tenth, and they win it 4-3! to three. Over 453 plate appearances. Davis hit 307, 369, 527 with 22 homers and 22 doubles. His 136 weighted runs created plus was 10th in the National League among hitters with uh, a minimum of 450 plate appearances. 373 weighted on base was 17th among the same group. And he racked up 2.4 wins above replacement as per fan graphs. Over a full season, that would be a three and a half win player. Um, I don't think anyone could have expected this type of production value out of Davis after seeing how he produced in Houston. Um, it's rare that you see a minor leaguer translate that success in those different leagues to the highest level. Um, and J.D. Davis has you know, gone above and beyond. Uh, if he improves his defense, at in my mind, he's going to be a, a utility guy. Um, I think the Mets are going to either replace uh, upgrade in the outfield and it's going to leave Davis as a super bench guy because um, I mean, if you can move him around and get him in the lineup every day, he's going to be an asset. And I think that's going to be uh, a big, big um, win for the Mets as a team, as a roster 
just that whole depth idea that Brody was kind of getting to last offseason. Um, I expect that to kind of grow. I don't think he's going to go so much for the um, versatility based where everybody can play everywhere. But guy like J.D. Davis, I think he's going to fit right into that role and his bat will uh, continue to garner him playing time. So that's my my outstanding performer for his first season in blue and orange. So we actually talked about J.D. Davis a lot through this through Simply Amazing's uh, first half a season. And um, the Patrick Corbin game, the first weekend of the season, the first home weekend of the season, uh, from that point on, we actually have a final total on J.D. Davis. That's over a from April 6th to September 29th. So that's 95 games started and uh, over 431 at-bats, right? Um 315, 376, 541, 917 are his splits with 22 home runs and 55 RBIs. Tim, would you say that he started to succeed and then sustained it and almost as if like J.D. Davis's stats were sustainable throughout the season? Very much so. I think once he got his feet wet and got comfortable and it's, you know, it's a tip of the cap to him for being able to um, to get himself so in the zone facing major league pitching after you know a week in the major a week in new york he was uh he really flipped a switch against corbin and took took off from there um you know it's not like it's some small sample size he, he racked up 450 plate appearances that's pretty much like any other player who misses let's say i don't know a, a month with a with an injury that's pretty much the plate appearances he's gonna miss out on six weeks maybe so uh yeah, I, I'm um I'm fully on board the JD Davis train. I think he should be uh he should be here next season. I know people have spoke to have talked about uh, moving him, moving other guys. Uh, you know, the camaraderie here is just so cool to see. Um I would hate to mess with that chemistry, but we shall see. We shall see. No, it's just, you know, keyword sustainable. Uh love you, Mets Daddy. Um, let's move on to the next award here on the podcast. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> yeah. Next up is the Jason Bay Award. Now, this goes to the player that had the most disappointing first season in a Mets uniform. Uh, Tim's going to go second for this as well because his Jason Bay Award winner is also my LVP, my least valuable player, which is the next category. So we'll spend some time on that guy, the most obvious winner of this category uh, that there probably is for the 2019 Mets. So mine, on the other hand, though, I'll get mine out of the way first and talk about how disappointed I was with this one player. Um, and unfortunately, I have to do this to him because he actually did show a lot of willpower and toughness to actually make it to the majors this year after going down with a, a, a plethora of unspeakable injuries to his lower body. Um, and even though he only had seven at bats, I hope next year is better because you're under contract for $10 million and it's Jed Lowry. 2 2 to Lowry, and he struck him out with a fastball. So Lowry fans in his first at bat as a Met. As obviously, you can tell, and I'm, I'm planning for post production to go well. Um, obviously, you can tell I'm looking for highlights for everybody throughout the season to put with their award. Uh, you know how hard it's going to be to find a Jed Lowry highlight? I, I think I'm just going to pick in at bat he struck out because he did that, I think, five times and then, you know, had a couple ground outs. And that was the Jed Lowry first year in New York. And every time that the Mets 
had an injury go down, and the strength that I thought they were going to have at the beginning of the season was their depth, and it was the case for a while, except when it came to the middle of the season when when Robbie Cano went down, when Todd Frazier went down, when Dom Smith went down, when when McNeil went down, when when Rosario was struggling for the longest time. And you looked at Jed Lowry and it's like, my guy, we could really use you right now. And I, I don't really want to harp on, like, say it's all his fault because, like, injuries happen. The human body is unpredictable. Uh, so if anything, Brody can share some blame in this for just handing out $20 million to the wrong guy, especially when you look at the other guys that cost about that much in the offseason. Um, here is the list, Tim, of guys who had more hits in 2019 than Jed Lowry. Walker Lockett, Drew Gagneau, Wilmer Font, Chris Flexen, Seth Lugo, and a guy who wasn't even on the team until August, Marcus Stroman. Um, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what a healthy Jed Lowry looks like anymore. I hope that he comes back next season and... It uh, shows that he can be some type of an everyday player, but I, I almost look at anything we get from him as a discount next year. I hope that this year was just a fluke and next year he comes back healthy. But as far as I'm concerned, uh, the Jason Bay levels of disappointment I had were from all the times the Mets needed a corner or middle infielder throughout the season due to injury and all the times that they needed anything. And I just looked at the $27 million they could have spent on Jed, on anything else that was rotting away on the DL throughout the season. So uh, I don't mean to be harsh. I wish him well. I hope he has a, an outstanding offseason, uh, getting ready for the 2020 season. But Jed Lowry, you're my Jason Bay Award winner for 2019. Okay, Tim, let's get into it. Your Jason Bay Award winner for the most disappointing player for, in his first season in a Mets uniform. 0 2. Long drive, deep left field. Nimmo going back, and this game is tied. Oh. It has happened to Edwin Diaz again. JT Realmuto launches a two-run homer, his 23rd of the year, and the Phillies get even 4-4 four to four in the ninth. Oh, my goodness. You served up a meatball for me, just mm -hmm. like the 15 meatballs that Edwin Diaz served <laughs> up in 2019, um, most for a reliever in the major leagues. So Edwin Diaz, I know I spoke about it. But we spoke about it a bunch this season. Um, I just had an article out on Metsmerize last week regarding it. So he's got the fourth highest ERA in the major in the National League among relievers with 5.59. His 2.33 home runs per nine are the highest in the majors. His 48.8% hard hit rate is the second most in the majors. But then you have his 3.07 expected FIP, seventh best in the majors. His 15.36 strikeouts per nine, second best in the majors. It's just, it's it's mind-blowing how, um, how good he can be and how much it costs the Mets that he left such a void in their bullpen. Um, you would hope that he'll get things figured out. And that's a whole nother chat that we've had a million times. We're probably going to have a million times more on this show, but um, it, you can only imagine where they'd be if Diaz was, you know, the Diaz that we kept on seeing glimpses of. And it's so frustrating that he's, got such nasty disgusting stuff but it just keeps on finding the heart of the plate it keeps on finding 
hitters' barrels, man. His his barrel rates at like ten and a half percent. The major league average is six point three. Um, I'm not sure if hitters are just waiting on his fastball. I'm not sure if uh, he's tipping his pitches, but yeah, if um, I would have to say he's been the most disappointing and probably the most detrimental to the Mets' success this year. I mean, if Lowry was here, sure, it would have been a little bit more depth. It would have been someone else to plug in there. But, boy, if Diaz is back there holding up leads and 20-something blown saves this year, um, you know, that's not necessarily 20-something losses, but it's 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 a whole lot of missed opportunities. And, uh, yeah, that's costly, especially yeah. when you finish that close. Well, he actually qualifies for two separate awards, which is why let's let, let's kind of segue this into the next one. Uh, least valuable player, the LVP, the most disappointing player, or the reason the Mets didn't make the playoffs. And mine is Edwin Diaz. I could not try to spin this a different way. He is, like you just said, the reason the Mets did not make the playoffs this year. If, if just for the fact that, like you said, 15 home runs in the ninth inning alone, uh, that's a major league record. Nobody's literally ever done that. Uh, 15 home runs in the ninth inning in one single season. Uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine that was very pro, and you'll actually appreciate this, uh, was very pro deal Diaz for whatever you can this offseason. And my philosophy from talking to you and reading your stuff and hearing all the peripherals on Diaz is that you don't trade talent like that. You try to fix it, you know, especially with the years of control you still have on Edwin Diaz. But what... To the naked eye, it looks like, at least from my perspective, that is somewhat informed, but at least also trying to play the, the eye test. It's like he always, and I feel like every pitcher has this, there's, there's one bad pitch you throw in outing, and sometimes it gets barreled up and sometimes it doesn't. And every single time he was in the game this year, it felt like every time that one pitch found the heart of the plate, batters didn't miss it it went over the wall every time and it wasn't just they were they were hitting it hard for an extra base hit they were hitting it hard over the wall at a record-setting pace I'll never forget Brandon Nimmo in the the Washington collapse the the 10-4 game that ended with a walk-off home run to Suzuki how shell-shocked he was because of how how electric Diaz's stuff is like I think the exact quote was that I, I I don't believe it. I can't believe the guy they're guys are hitting a hundred mile an hour fastballs over the fence. That's unheard of to me. And it's it's like you said, it's mind blowing that this season went as bad as it did, especially since he looked pretty good the first two months of the season. Um I I think he's the most intriguing player going into next season. Um, because I don't think he you can tell your fan base that he's your closer next year i don't think you can at all look at the the expected stats like what the stats should be and have that have any weight going forward he has to earn any type of closer role back and hopefully that means a solid april and a solid may and you undoubtedly have to start making him the back end of your bullpen um but as far as i'm concerned the least valuable player and the, the most disappointing player for me has to be Edwin Diaz. So he's my LVP award winner. And he also qualifies, like you said, for the Jason Bay Award. <laughs> oh, he's taking home multiple. multiple yeah, awards. he's the one guy on this list that leaves a multiple hardware. <laughs> so I, I had an LVP written down here. And um, 
he was still a not very valuable player for the Mets this year. It was Jerry's familiar. Um, another guy who was supposed to be counted on in the Mets bullpen, uh, who just didn't, <laughs> he, he didn't perform. He didn't produce when he did come out. He looked, uh, shaky at best. Uh, you finished the season with a 5.7 ERA. You finished the year with 6.3 walks per nine. Jesus. Um, yeah, and it, that's this, that's that's scary that you have so much money committed to this guy for two years. Um, at least Diaz. I mean, and don't get me wrong, familiar stuff. His his fastball has just as much movement as Diaz's. His slider is just as much is just as good. His splitter is just is a, is another fantastic out pitch. Um, you have to wonder what's going on. But uh, I actually I wrote I wrote it down and I changed my vote. Noah Syndergaard. He could have been so much more to this team than he was. He had a couple of nice stretches, but with consistency, um, maybe the Mets make up three or four games in the standings. Um, he pitched well when they needed him to down the stretch, but when they really needed him to, um, all those games that he should have won, that he just got you know hit all over the field. I, I could think of a couple of randoms, but just to make the point short, um, Noah's consistency uh, – if the Mets had that, I think it could have been a much different season. Oh wow! You you pulled an all audible on me, man. I I, I did. I, I should have gave you a heads up, but um, it kind of just came to me while you were talking about Diaz. Like, was Familia's underperformance really that detrimental? Can it I make the case for it? Can I make the case for it? <laughs> Please do. And Kingery lines one into the gap in left center field. This will score at least two. Harper scores. Here's Hoskins. Hernandez right behind him. And the Phillies have opened up a three-run lead. Well, like the, the direction I thought you were gonna go with it is like we at least have a, a good month and a half, two-month sample size where Edwin Diaz was effective, you know? Like we do have a lot of most of April and most of May where Edwin Diaz did look like the closer that you traded for. Javis Familia, we don't have that. A 6.28 ERA in April, a 4.32 ERA in May was his good month because he had an 18 ERA in the month of June. Uh, the only good month he had was August when he was pitching in very low leverage situations. And he had a 1.88 ERA in mostly mop-up duty. Um, so you could argue that because Familia was such a dud, and they had to overuse Diaz earlier in the season. It took Diaz out of his comfort zone, which then forced the regression that we saw in Diaz, killing your two going into the season most valuable weapons in the bullpen. Um, this was when I Seth Lugo was hurt. This is when Justin Wilson was hurt. And you really had to count on Familia and Diaz to be your only guys. And when one guy wasn't doing it, you had to overuse the other, which the trickle effect created what was the worst bullpen in baseball, not named the Nationals, for the first uh, first two, three months of the season. So I actually think there's a better case for Familia being uh, the LVP. I mean, Syndergaard, I'm disappointed in most of his season, but there is... When the Mets made their run, he was like the second best pitcher in baseball for, for six weeks. I know he had a disappointing September, and a lot of that, I think, can be due to extracurricular stuff. Like, just let him pitch to his catcher. Um, but I I actually was was fine with your with your familia, 
you're familiar with uh, those two well, in I, my I, mind were the most least valuable players on the team this year. Yeah. And, and from what you were just saying, um, I really think you made a great point because bullpen stability is so important. If you look at winning teams, they have a stable role assigned bullpen. And like you said, without, without before likes to stand on, let's say, you know, just as an example, in Lugo, Wilson, Diaz, and Familia, um, you know, that horse is going to tip over, man. Um, so you have to, you know, I think that you kind of solidified my point. Maybe I'm leaning back towards Familia, but in any, case, um, <laughs> in any case, people have to perform. And Mickey said that after the game on Sunday, you know, it comes down to performance, and that's what it's always going to come down to. I really want to save Syndergaard for the, the other award we have him for, so I think that's actually perfect that we save him for that. Most improved player, though. Um, Tim, I'll let you go first. The player that took the biggest step forward in the 2019 season for the Mets. Well, there's a couple. Um, I, I'm going to just shine a light on one because I, you know, I, I've been rooting for this guy since the Mets drafted him in the first round in 2013 uh, through all of the, um, I guess you could say, just the, the uphill battle to get where he is today. Dominic Smith. 0-2 coming. And he lofts one toward the right field corner, hit it toward the wall. It's out of here! A three-run homer for Dominic Smith, and the Mets take the lead in the seventh inning. I was watching the season finale with my mom on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. And, um, you know, she's familiar with, you know, what I write about and who my, my favorite players are. And she's a big Mets fan herself. And, uh, She's like, oh, my God, imagine he hits the home run. All your friends are going to be so happy. <laughs> she knows about the Doc Smith stand squad. I said, yeah, oh, it's going to be awesome. This is his first at bat in two months. That'd be amazing. Next pitch, hits it out. My mom called me today. She's got a bruise on her hand from when I high-fived her. Oh, no. She's got a bruise. <laughs> yeah, that's how, that's how Mets wild of a household we were growing up and still are. So, uh, yeah, Dom Smith, let me get into the stats real quick. My, my little anecdote is over. Uh over 90, 197 plate appearances this year. Dom put together a 282, 355, 525 slash with uh, 11 homers and 11 doubles. Among hitters with a minimum of 190 plate appearances, Dom's 133 weighted runs created plus is 19th. His 368 weighted on base is 28th. And if you put his 0.8 wins above replacement across a full season plate appearances wise, he's a two and a half win player. Um, when he was pretty much iced out. And that's not to say that he played, he underperformed and lost his job. Pete Alonso took the first baseman's job. And I think everybody recognized that, including Smith. He offered to play some outfield. The Mets told him no. He said, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll produce in a bench role. And he did. And he went above and beyond. And he finally reached the potential that so many Mets fans and the organization and his teammates and, and him himself were looking and waiting so hard for, uh, so long for, I should say. Um, it, it was just so cool to see. And then, you know, he, he kept that going. And he did it in a limited role, very sporadic plate appearances. And uh, then to come back on the last day of the season, when, of course, things are meaningless at that point. But to move into the offseason, at least for Dom Smith, with that much confidence brewing, uh, for a young player who had so much trouble getting to the point that he's at, um, I just find it so cool. 
So that's my most improved player. And uh, I, I like I, I, I peeked at your answers and I like your <laughs> answers. Too. Um, I, I got to be honest, before I get to my my winner, um, Dom Smith's walk off on on Sunday. The first person I thought of was you knowing how hard you <laughs> stand, how much you love this dude and how infectious that love has been for a lot of Mets fans that either want him traded or just never want to see him double switched for Alonzo and the appreciation that you've given to uh, his role on this team, whether it be in a clubhouse or on the field going forward. Uh, I was happy for him and uh, as uh, as a result, also happy for you uh, when that ball went over the wall. Um, yeah, I'm excited about Dom Smith on the team next year. I don't I'm not in the part in the in the pool of people that want to see him traded anymore. Um if like the Red Sox say Dom Smith for Mookie Betts, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do that. But um I think there's value in depth and Dom Smith gives you that and especially if he's really going to turn himself into Ken Griffey Jr. this offseason as an outfielder. So I'm interested to see how that looks. Uh, my most improved player is Ahmed Rosario. First pitch swinging, and that's down into left field. Acuna can't get there. Fourth hit of the night for Rosario. On his way to second, head first slide, and that is the fourth hit of the night, the third extra base hit for Ahmed Rosario with a big smile on his face. Second consecutive four-hit game for Ahmed Rosario. So here are the numbers on Ahmed Rosario. He led the Mets in hits with 177. Uh, posted career highs in hits, home runs, RBIs, doubles, average, uh, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS, OPS plus, and total bases. He finished fourth in total hits after the All-Star break in all of baseball, right behind Anthony Rendon, Xander Bogarts, and Alex Bregman. Uh, and for those of you that are worried about him defensively, he had 12 errors in his first 75 games. He finished with five over his final 78. And for those of us that watched every pitch of those 78 games, you know that just by the eye test, he became an incredible defender. Could even see him winning a gold glove in the future. That's how good he was over the last 80 games of the season. Uh, this is a 23-year-old that we're talking about. Those of you who remember 2005 when Jose Reyes took that first big step and proved that he could play a full season. And there were clearly some things he had to work on, but this was... The year before his breakout year. Well, Ahmed Rosario just had a year light years better than Ray has ever had in 2005. Um, and, you know, you start to think about the potential that the Mets could have if he takes another leap and improves on all the categories that I just said he did um, next season. So Ahmed Rosario, only 23 years old, uh, is my most improved player for 2019. All right, the Carlos Beltran Award for the most underappreciated player on the 2019 Mets. Um, Tim, I'll let you go first. Well, I think underappreciated. Um, most of the fan base will say, no, he's not underappreciated. But there uh -huh. is a section of Mets fans. Just check who, Twitter is all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, Twitter's not for everybody. But yeah, yeah uh, there are some fans out there who think that Michael Conforto is underrated. And... Um, that couldn't be much further from the truth. Oh, you mean overrated? That Michael Conforto is overrated, yeah. Uh, yes, I'm sorry. I misspoke. Yes. There are people, folks who think that he's overrated. He drives this one deep right center toward the wall. It's out of here. Michael Conforto ties the game with his second two-run homer of the night. And the 
it's just it's just not the case. I mean, all right, so he dealt with his concussion thing earlier in the year, and he didn't let that slow him down. He never used it as an excuse. He put together a career year, uh, career high in homers, career high in RBIs, 33 and 92, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, 126 weighted runs created plus. He's 25% better than your average major leaguer. Uh, almost a four-win player, four wins above replacement player, 3.8. He's evened out his swing and where, I guess, where he's putting the ball into play. Uh, his pull percentage is still 41%, of course. You know, he's a lefty. He's going to pull the ball. But he's going straight away to center field 31% of the time, and he's going to the opposite field 28% of the time. So I think he's really focusing on putting the ball to all the fields and hitting them where they ain't, especially with the, um, I guess the upper, uh, the up usage of the shift these days. Um, he's had to adjust his game. You'll see that his hard hit rate did drop down, uh, from, I guess last year to this year, somewhat considerably, but his medium hit rate actually jumped up an extra 9%. His ground ball rate was 43 and change in 2018, dropped down to 36.1 in 2019. That's a huge, huge decrease. This is what kind of got me the most excited about Michael Conforto's progress. His outside of his own swing percentage, his O swing, in 2018 was 27.6%, and his contact on those pitches was 58.7. So, you know, nothing to write home about. He's, he's swinging at pitches outside the zone at a quarter of the time and he's making contact a little over half the time this season he made pretty much the same uh o swing it was 27.3 compared to 27.6 again it's it's menial his contact went up from 58.7 to 63.4 so he's becoming a more polished hitter he's chasing the pitches outside of the zone that he know he, he knows he can make contact on whether that's uh and i, I believe i don't have the number in front of me here but he did go for the high outside and low outside pitch more than he ever has in his career this year, uh, which would explain him going to the opposite field. But he's expanding his game now and the power is there. And um, it looks like his fielding's coming back. I know his first couple of years in the league, he was just a terrific outstanding fielder Um, that fell off in recent years. Um, This year, he was a little bit below average in the field, but his numbers were considerably better than they were in previous years, uh, as far as his advanced metrics, his defensive run saved, his ultimate zone rating, um, a tad below average, but really, I mean, such a, a big leap from where they were last year. Um, I don't know how folks could see that he's overrated. He, he's the, a, a key, key, key cog on this team, and I think they should extend him yesterday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you yeah, couldn't agree more. And it's actually... Like perfect that this is the Carlos Beltran Award, um, because just like Beltran, we didn't appreciate him until he was gone. You know, like Michael Conforto, plug somebody else in, and like the arguments I see is like he doesn't score a lot of runs. Well, he hits lower in the order where a lot of guys don't drive in a lot of runs. Uh, well, his batting average is only two fifty. Well, it's twenty nineteen. We stopped looking at batting average to evaluate how good a hitter is a while ago. So his on base percentage actually cancels out how low his batting average might be. Uh, we, I mean, we talked about it last week, or I guess on Thursday's show uh, with Brett, that there's only been five players in Mets history to have 80 walks, 90 RBIs, and 30 home runs in a season, and that's David Wright, Carlos Beltran, Daryl Strawberry, Howard Johnson, 
and Michael Conforto. Uh, this is one of the best seasons in Mets history. I get it. And I, again, this probably also correlates to Carlos Beltran. That one at bat really frustrates Mets fans this season. Um, in it, Playing Atlanta on Friday night, it's 1-1 in the 11th inning. Anthony Swarzak is on the ropes. It's bases loaded for Michael Conforto with one out, and he strikes out. And you can look at that as one of the turning points in the season because if the Mets win that game, it's six in a row. You take the first game from the Braves. Who knows what kind of momentum uh, you have going out the rest of this stretch where you got six, the, the, the stretch with three with the Braves, followed by three with the Cubs in this, this gauntlet of games against teams you were competing with at the time. Um, and who knows what the Mets might, might have done. Um, if you're going to judge a guy's entire season on one at bat, then you're doing exactly what we did with Carlos Beltran. Carlos Beltran is the best outfielder in franchise history. And a lot of people only remember him for one at bat in game seven of the LCS. Um, I, I really hope that people come to appreciate what Conforto is. As of right now, he's not Bellinger or Yelich or any of the like MVP candidates. If you want to say that's disappointing, that's fine. But he is an above-average outfielder, an above-average right fielder, and a guy that you want in your lineup if you want to contend next season. So uh, uh, hopefully a lot of you, if you are down on Conforto, you, you start to realize that it could be so much worse. It could be so much worse. So. My Carlos Beltran Award winner is Marcus Stroman. One, two. Struck him out! Masterful extrication! Nine strikeouts for Strowman. And I don't even think the backlash or the frustration or the underappreciation for him is undeserved because he wasn't the pitcher that the Mets traded for. He struggled through all of August to find some comfort with the new pitching staff, with the new league that he was in for the first time, and he was just ineffective. That is fair criticism of Marcus Strowman. Having said that, the opining for Jason Vargas that I saw was just ridiculous, especially when you look at what happened to Jason Vargas down the stretch in Philadelphia. And when you look at what Marcus Stroman was over his final four starts, he faced a very hot Diamondbacks team who actually had one of the better offenses and one of the better lineups in all of baseball this year. Um, he had a start in Colorado, in Cincinnati, two very good hitters ballparks. And then at home against the Braves, his final, that was his last start of the season. So over his final four starts against four very good lineups in two very good hitters ballparks, he gave up one home run in 24 innings pitched and had a 1.88 ERA with a 200 batting average, a 281 on base percentage, a 259 slugging percentage, and a 540 OPS against him. Uh, that's the Marcus Stroman we traded for. And if anything, the whole point of the Carlos Beltran award is like I just said, taking one at bat or a small sample size of a player and totally putting that on your view of that player going forward. And I look at next season, a chance to have a guy that was the ace of the blue Jays through their multiple playoff runs earlier this decade. And he's going to be your number two or number three starter. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to Marcus Stroman on this team next year. And I think a lot of Mets fans that now realize, hopefully, that Jason Vargas wasn't the guy you wanted in the rotation down the stretch um, it can actually start to appreciate what type of pitcher we got uh, on this team next year. Oh, just the pick-me-up that he brings the fan base, his teammates, 
the guy's he's a spark plug, man. Um, and just cherry on the top is he, he's from Long Island. So yeah, yeah. Pat Medzone. There you go. Yeah, that's our guy, man. So for the Mets Twitter award, which is the player that dominated the conversation on Mets Twitter this season, there's a couple different candidates. Um, Michael Conforto obviously is one of them, but he won. He wins the Carlos Beltran award already. So both of our awards are battery mates at at times this year. Uh, I will say mine, and it's Wilson Ramos. Tim, who is yours? Mine's Noah. Noah Syndergaard. <laughs> it's interesting that they uh, ended up being the, the, the winners for this because it's easily. Oh, the... I wasn't. I wasn't supposed to double up. I'm sorry, bro. Oh no, no, that's why. I uh, talked you out of making uh, Noah Syndergaard your, oh, L- your LVP. So <laughs> That's so why sneaky. I looked ahead. I was like, I would rather Familia be the LVP. Uh, it's okay. Um, so for getting, let's talk about Noah Syndergaard. 0-2. Got him looking. And the ball game is over. Boy. Noah Syndergaard, complete game shutout. Home run for the only run. Noah let the hair flow on a Thursday afternoon, and he comes up aces. Personally, I would not go near a Noah Syndergaard conversation because there's so much overreaction to how bad he was this year, and a lot of it had to do with this mess that the Mets created in not letting him have his own catcher. Uh, The numbers just back it up. He was a better catcher with Wilson Ramos. Having said that, this is going to dominate Twitter for the next couple months, especially leading into the winter. Uh, Tim... Your thoughts on Noah Syndergaard and the reason he absolutely qualifies for the Mets Twitter award. For all of that talk, I, I was, I, I'm very high on Noah Syndergaard as a pitcher. Um, I think that he makes the New York Mets better. Uh, but for all that talk, man, um, the results were not there. They were there for a little bit, but you know, he, he's outspoken. That's cool. We love a player with personality. Um, he has a little thing going on with Mrs. Met. <laughs> We're cool, man. We love drama here. That's that's our thing. We love it. Um, his the whole trade talk. I know him to San Diego, and San Diego's interest was absolutely dominating. Um, articles during uh, the trade deadline in July, uh, leading up to it, even more so. Uh, the whole thing with the personal catcher, um, you know, to request your own personal catcher, and I. I dig him doing that because he just wants to be the best Noah he can be. Boy, that sounded corny. Um, and the Mets should want the same thing. They should want the most effective pitcher they can get out of him. But, you know, if things don't go your way, you still have to show up and pitch. You can't go let up four earned runs in three consecutive starts. You can't um, – I don't want to say – because he didn't appear to quit because he still had it there and he just missed some pitches – um, but you have to be consistent, man. If you're going to do all this talking, if you're going to be so brash and if you're going to be so outspoken, boy, you got to put up those Noah numbers. Um, and this season was not a Noah season. And I'm not saying he can't get back there. I know he can, but boy, uh, to dominate Twitter as he did and have a disappointing season. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little disappointed as a fan. I don't want the Mets to trade him. I think that would be a mistake. Uh, I just want that effective, you know, lightning bolt Noah back. That's all. Well, I think that's the most frustrating part for me, Tim, is there is a version of Noah Syndergaard that was the lightning bolt god of thunder that we know he can be. 
and it was to any catcher not named Wilson Ramos. Uh, Syndergaard threw 187 innings this year. 97 of them were to Wilson Ramos. 90 and two-thirds were to any other catcher. In his starts with Wilson Ramos, he had a 5.20 ERA. In his starts with any other catcher, he had a 2.88 ERA. It was almost split down the middle. And for some reason, the Mets decided against the 2.88 top 10 in all of baseball ERA that you could have gotten from Syndergaard and forced him to pitch to Wilson Ramos. And to anybody that takes the Mets' side on this, I don't understand. Ramos is a, a very poor defensive catcher. He showed that this season. He's not great at throwing runners out, which you really need when it comes to Noah Syndergaard, who's not great at holding runners on. Um, you're talking two to three at-bats for Nito, who would bat eighth. And then if Syndergaard comes out of the game in the seventh inning, you're now set up with one of your better bats off the bench that can either pinch it for Nito or pinch it for Syndergaard in a key spot. And then you just switch Ramos into the game if you're so concerned about his bat being in the lineup and he has a chance to come up whenever that big spot in the game happens. Like this is, It never made sense to me not letting him have his personal catcher. Pitchers have been doing this forever. It is a comfort thing. They are creatures of habit. But Pedro Martinez didn't like throwing to Piazza. Tom Glavin didn't like throwing to Piazza. Um, I mean, we all know the Greg Maddox legend of him not throwing to Javi Lopez and only liking to throw to Eddie Perez. I mean, Max Scherzer didn't like throwing to Wilson Ramos. This year in Washington, I don't know if it was like he didn't like Kurt Suzuki, but Patrick Corbin and Jan Gomes were the most effective battery, which is why Gomes caught the majority of Corbin's starts. And that's why Corbin had as good a year as he did. I just, I never understood the conversation around Syndergaard that he had to learn how to pitch effectively to Ramos in the middle of a pennant race. Okay, rant over. Um, <laughs> I Speaking of Wilson Ramos, my winner of this award... I actually just wanted to talk about the offseason and what Ramos, who did have a, a pretty decent year for his first year in blue and orange, uh, 288, 351 on base percentage, a 416 slugging percentage, which is a 768 OPS, 14 home runs, 73 RBIs. Um, he did a very poor defensive year, a minus 13 defensive run save, which is which is not great for context. Um, JT Ramuto was clearly the best. He had a plus 15 defensive run saved. Um, I, I think the Mets can upgrade a catcher though. And Yasmani Grandal, who was, I guess the other option in the off season for the Mets, if they had paid a little more, uh, will be a free agent this off season and has a, had a, only had a 246 average, but an 848 OPS with 28 home runs and 77 RBIs. Imagine 30 home runs in this lineup, 30 more home runs in this lineup, I should say. Uh, according to Fangraphs, his wins above replacement was almost four runs higher and 10 more defensive runs saved than Wilson Ramos this year. Uh, I'm interested to see if the Mets even explore this. Um, I know Wilson Ramos is under contract for another year. I think there's some chemistry issues as well that you can't really chart that... Ramos might actually be better fit for the clubhouse right now than bringing somebody else in. Uh, maybe just a stronger other catcher in the Mets. Mets uh, a, like a better backup catcher, like a, an upgrade over Tomas Nito. Um, not that I'm out on Nito yet. 
Um, so yeah, that's that's as far as Ramos adding to the conversation on Mets Twitter. It's whether he'll be on the team next year or do you go out and upgrade and consider Grandal uh, next season. Next up is the Jim Duquette Award for the most questionable move or non-move made by the Mets front office during the season. Um, shout out to Jim Duquette. I don't at all think from time to time what the 2006, 7, and 8 Mets could have looked like with Scott Casimir in their rotation. Um, shout out to Mets fans who remember that. Um, uh, Tim, what did you pick for this award? Well, I left the Cano Diaz deal out of the, right. out of this. It was just too um too obvious. <laughs> so I think that the Mets really left a uh, an opportunity on the table by not acquiring um, a bullpen arm or two at the trade deadline, knowing that Diaz and Familia were um you know in the midst of crashing and burning. And a lot of people have been like, oh well, who do you get? Who do you get? Look at the guys the Nationals got, the Braves got, and they really haven't panned out. Uh, well, one guy from the Nats did, Daniel mm-hmm. Hudson. He, he's on my list here. So um, I have five pitchers here who didn't quite fly under the radar, but have went to their new contending homes and have excelled since getting there. So um, Miami traded Nick Anderson and Trevor Trevor Richards to the Tampa Bay Rays. Anderson put up a 2.11 ERA and Richards put up a 1.93 ERA down the stretch. Drew Pomeranz, um, effective veteran. I was actually calling for the Mets to take a look at him heading into the season to throw into the bullpen or to kind of move into the rotation if need be because he had a decently solid year with with, uh, Boston. 2.39 over 25 relief appearances for Milwaukee. Adam Kolarik, he went from Tampa Bay to the Dodgers. 0.77 ERA over his 26 appearances with L.A. And then I already spoke about Daniel Hudson, 1.44 ERA over 24 appearances after going to Washington from the Blue Jays. So there were available arms out there. It just looks like the Mets um, were more focused on doing what they did. Uh, Would it have changed things? Possibly. Would it have strengthened a weakness? Most definitely. So um, whether Brody was gun shy because he didn't want to mortgage away any more of the future, whether they felt like they maybe the asking price was a little too much on some of these guys, though I couldn't see Miami wanting all that much for Trevor Richards or Nick Anderson, but it is what it is. Um, There were options and they just chose not to take them. And that might've shot them in the foot because this offense produced this, the, the Mets offense finished with the second highest weighted runs created in the national league as a team. Um, The starting pitching was practically elite. Um, Just right up there. There's fantastic. The bullpen arguably sank this team. Um, not addressing that could be looked back upon once we get a few years down the line as the, um, the you know, the, the the deadly shot, the fatal shot in this uh, in this season. But it is what it is. I think that that was a missed opportunity. I'm curious to hear yours. I didn't look down and read yours. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, them not addressing the bullpen is I don't even think it's arguably what sunk this team. It's definitively <laughs> what sunk this team. <laughs> uh, but as far as the Jim Duquette Award goes, I don't even think I actually agree with this narrative, but there were just so many players that spent time with the Mets recently that were no longer with the Mets. Either either the transaction happened during the 2019 season 
or it's within the last year that they went someplace else and flourished. So my nominees or my winners are any of the former Mets that at one point came back to bite them. Uh, we start with his Drupal Cabrera, who I had no problem with the Mets not bringing him back. I wanted Jeff McNeil to be the second baseman. I thought Cano was going to be an upgrade over his Drupal Cabrera. The guy is a second baseman at this point. And this grudge that he held because his like he, the Mets didn't offer him a chance to come back in the offseason, even though, like, my guy, we traded you to a contender last year. We gave you a chance to play meaningful games in August and September when we didn't have to. So, if anything, you're welcome. Uh, so, he went to the Nationals. And over the 38 games that he played with the Nationals, had a 323 average, a 404 on base percentage, a 565 slugging, which leads to a 969 OPS, with four home runs and 40 RBIs in 38 games. Zubu Cabrera finished with 91 RBIs. What the hell? Okay. Rant over. A Danny Echeverria. <laughs> I don't even know because he was hitting 200 when the Mets released him. And I didn't really care that they got rid of the 25th man on the roster. I get how it looked that they released him the day before his bonus, but you could argue he didn't play well enough to earn that bonus and better guys were coming up uh, to be able to take his spot on the roster. So as far as I was concerned, this was like, I, I here, here's, here's a, an olive branch, Tim. Uh, I would have rather have had Luis Guillorme on the team than any more and any Echeverria ground outs to second base, which is all he was over the last like six weeks he was with the Met. Um, having well, I didn't. I, I did enjoy his bat flips on singles, but yeah. <laughs> well, unfortunately, he, he started yeah, bat he, flipping on home runs when he went to Atlanta. He did, boy. That really turned him on. Um, yeah. Danny Hecaveria. Yeah. Uh, 328 average, a 400 on base percentage, a 639 slugging percentage, and a 1.039 OPS over his oh, 20, over that. his 70 at bats with the Braves. Four home runs and seven and 15 RBIs. Uh, actually played a pretty pivotal role because Dansby Swanson was out and uh, will be the backup infielder, probably a defensive replacement for, uh, I guess they don't really need him be a defensive replacement it'll just literally be a bat off the bench uh in the playoffs for the braves um hate to see that huh i actually do hate to see that because i <sighs> listen i had no problem with releasing it but that's why this list is so weird that guys just went uh, went elsewhere and became elite uh travis star no his numbers kind of came back to to normal um there was a stretch during in the year where he was mike piazza and we we're like, oh, my God, how could we release this guy? Even in the moment, I was kind of fine with it because I thought his time had, had run its course and a change of scenery was necessary. Well, it happened, and the guy hit 16 home runs and had 67 RBIs in uh, 92 games with the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, he did only have a, a 782 OPS over that stretch, which is around what Ramos ended up with. Um Look, I'm more just happy for Travis that he came back from Tommy John and was able to find success. And now I have a team to root for in the playoffs. Let's go raise. Uh, I kind of want Travis Darno to make another run, especially if he goes through the Bronx to do it. Um, Wilmer Font, I don't even know how to make sense of this. He was terrible with the Mets. His, his... No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Okay, no, never he mind. Was he was awesome with the Mets. Like... He wasn't awesome with the Mets. He had one really nice stretch. Um, I guess they were using him in long relief. He had like something like a one nine ERA over like ten appearances. Uh, most I would say seven of those appearances were like over two innings. Um, 
I might be off a little bit on those stats. Well, like his K to walk ratio is like one to one, though. That's why my thing was a guy being a reliever. I want you to not let guys get on base. He walked four in one game once. You know, he was finding his way. Um, Then they traded him, uh, sent him off for. I'm sorry. They traded. uh, I can't think of the guy's name. A 17 year old six foot eight Dominican kid who already throws 98 miles an hour. Traded him away to get Font. And then gave him away for nothing. I still don't get that because he was effective when used correctly. He went somewhere else and proved to be effective when used correctly. So um, you got to just chalk it up to Brody, I guess, or the Will Ponds, whatever. I think it's an it. oversight because I'm with you that I would have let the string play out a little more with, with Wilmer Fonts. Um, maybe when he wasn't effective, it was so ineffective that his overall numbers don't actually tell the type of story he had. Like we're going to talk about Seth Lugo later, take out that one Braves game. And his second half is one of the best ever. Um, having said that, Wilmer Font, when he went to Toronto uh, in 39 innings, had a almost a five to one K through walk K to walk ratio and averaged a 12.1 strikeouts per nine innings. Um, I, I, we could have used that down the stretch. That's 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 what I would have said. If they had kept Wilmer Font and just kind of kept him in as the what Brad Bo- Brad Brock became, although Brad Brock kind of found his way a bit. Um, so yeah, Wilmer Font, uh, Wilmer Flores. I don't want to say too much because it's been said a lot. He had a three seventeen average and an eight forty eight OPS. Um, his he only played eighty nine games this year, and like my argument was always, where was he gonna play? Like yeah, there was a stretch where you had Wilmer Flores instead of Joe Panic, But going into the season, you didn't know that on a team with Jed Lowry and Rob Zicchino and Jeff McNeil that you were going to need Wilmer Flores at any point. And you kind of needed a guy that could play the outfield, which is why J.D. Davis was a perfect upgrade over Wilmer Flores. Um, but yeah, Wilmer, I'm glad he's found success elsewhere. And then probably the most infuriating for me, Tim, uh, Hansel Robles in Anaheim. <laughs> so... You remember, so you remember Hansel Robles when he was with the Mets. Uh, I do. I, I just I, pointed up. I just pointed up to the sky in remembrance of Hansel Robles. As well, the, the beauty of that is that's all we remember is that anytime someone hit a big home run off of Hansel Robles, you point up to the sky and uh, almost as if, hey, you got that? Nope. Okay, it's over the fence, and it's a home run <laughs> that it mattered. Well, Hansel Robles in his 108 games in Anaheim has a 2.64 ERA. That's 109 innings pitched, a near five to one strikeout to walk ratio. You, I mean, the only times I've watched Hansel Robles come in, give up two walks immediately. Pitching coach goes to the mound, then he gives up a three-run homer. Game was over. A, a three-to-one game is now six-to-one. That was the Hansel Robles experience. Uh, Hansel Robles no. in 109 innings pitch has only given up eight runs with the Anaheim Angels. Excuse me, the Los Angeles An- Angels of Anaheim of California of the United States of America. Um, <laughs> he's become like a legit closer with the Anaheim. Well, I did it again yeah. the, with the Angels. Um, I don't even know how, how to explain it. Only how many home runs allowed? Over that eight span? home. Oh, last year, uh, only two. I'm no, just up, during his whole his whole career with the Angels. With the Angels, eight total. Eight total over 109. Over 100, 108, 108, 109 games, 108 innings. Good for him, man. He's so hot right now. That <laughs> well done. Uh, all right, that's the that's the Jim Duke award. 
We got six left. All right, guys, so bear with us. The Ioannis Cespedes Award uh, for the player we're looking forward to seeing a full season of healthy baseball next year um, because injuries killed them in 2019. Um, the award should be self-explanatory for who Tim is picking. Um, I am going to pick Robinson Cano. That's drilled deep right field, down the line, toward the Coca-Cola corner, it's gone! Robinson Cano with his first career three-home run game. And give him the Owen Cespedes Award, because I think he showed in the second half of the season, um, he had an 880 OPS after the All-Star break with nine home runs and 21 RBIs. Um, I think if we get that kind of Robinson Cano, uh, I mean, you and I had talked about it after the Dodger game that I'm now at the point where I don't fear Robinson Cano in a big spot. I actually look forward to Robinson Cano in a big spot. If you get a full season of an 880 OPS from Robinson Cano, you're actually looking at a very productive season next year and probably an even better team somehow uh, with this offense. Uh, he also had an 802 OPS at City Field. He was a much better hitter at home than he was on the road. So um, I hope... It, his injuries weren't chronic like most 36, 37 year olds go through um, uh, sore hamstrings. Uh, uh, he hit it. He hurt his hands a couple times. Um, I really hope this isn't just like the sign of things to come from an aging veteran, which is why I hope they use the depth that they have on this team to make him only play six innings at a time. Having said that, Rob Zucchino is my ONS Cespedes award winner. Tim, who is yours? My Ioannis Cespedes award winner is Ioannis Cespedes. Cespedes, it's one deep to left center. Back toward the wall. Looking up. And it's out of here. Ioannis Cespedes gives the Mets the lead. From time to time, I still forget he's on the Mets. I don't know if that happens to you at all, but it happens to me all the time. No, I mean, I'm curious as to which or what form of Cespedes we're going to see when he does return. But um, I'm actually oddly optimistic. Oddly, oddly enough. Oddly, yeah, you, optimistic. Um, That's no, but <laughs> considering where he's at in his rehab and falling down holes and all that stuff, um, you have to wonder if I, I guess I should say I'm 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 optimistic he is going to play next year. I think that he's going to make it back. I think that he might even. You know, let's hope that he might be ready for spring training. Who knows? We have no news on him. That's just a guess. That's just an optimistic guess. But um, I don't see why he can't make a comeback and have an impact. Um, they're paying him enough money. <laughs> and I, a pun sort of intended. Get on your horse and get back, man. <laughs> you, you broke your legs. That's all. Did you just you broke your legs. That's all. <laughs> no big deal. You're an outfielder. Rub a little, fucking, rub a little dirt on it. Exactly. I'm sure there's a steroid out there for it. Um, oh, that's not funny. What? Uh, I'm sorry. That's how most people heal from injuries, Tim. <laughs> yes, but he can't. He's under contract with Major League Baseball. He can't do that. So, we can't even suggest that. I think we'd be accomplices. Oh, stop it. If I would, <laughs> I would love for as long as he doesn't get caught. That's all I will say. Um, oh. I Where's your integrity, am, Andrew? Where's the integrity? I, I will get over it if they win. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I will too. Uh, anything we get from Ioannis Cespedes going forward, I'm looking at as a bonus. We are at the point where if he comes back, awesome, and I hope he's productive. Uh, but he's entered David Wright territory of I'll believe he's back on this team and productive when he's back on this team and productive. We are now at the point of it's a walk here next year. Uh, the guy at this point, I feel like he's a DH. I'd love to be wrong and 
he comes back and his he's a four day a week player that is productive during those four days. But I fear that even when he comes back, that we're just like one wrong a trip up the gap away from Sensibus limping, like going to a commercial break, and all of a sudden, like somebody's been double switched into the outfield because Cespedes had to leave with an injury. And then all of a sudden he's out for six months. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not done with Cespedes. He's still under contract and I hope you get something from him, but anything you get is additional in my mind. at least. Okay. The curtain call award for the player who will probably, and most likely, uh, has played his final game in a Mets uniform, uh, I mean, I hope Tim's wrong, but Tim, your winner is uh, Zach Wheeler. Two and two to the pinch hitter. He got him. Nine strikeouts for Zach Wheeler as he wiggles off the hook again. I just, I think that he's going to get that money somewhere else. I think that the Mets, I, I hope that the Mets extend a qualifying offer. I don't see why they I'd, even, I'd even say that they'd be smart to, um, to offer him an extension now, but did you see that Nats offered Rendon an extension? What on- What was the final number? I saw that they offered. I just didn't see what the Something number like was. Something like two ten, two fifteen over I- six years, five years. Uh, crazy. How much of it is deferred, knowing the Nationals? Oh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll find out. But Zach Wheeler, um, I know I've I've said it before. I think that Houston and Atlanta jump out in my head as two teams that are gonna, um, be salivating to get their hands on him. And either for Atlanta, stick him somewhere towards the front of their rotation. Uh, Houston, just turn him into another Garrett Cole because he has the ability to throw multiple pitches, mm-hmm. uh, high velocity, decent spin rate. They can make that improve. Look at what they did with Verlander. As far as his time here, um, I think we have to collectively tip our caps to Zach Wheeler. Uh, he came here pretty much shackled with the hopes that, oh, you know, we traded away Beltran for you. You better be good. And we, we had other offers on the table and everybody's heard all the, all the different excuses, but uh, he's made his progress and he made it here and he made 30 starts in his second full season. And he did it with a decent ERA. And then he faced a mountain of injuries, Tommy John surgery, uh, stress reactions in his repaired elbow, made it all the way back just to get hurt again. Um, like he was in a rehab start. He was this close to coming back, and he had to shut it down in July. And that was in 2017? 2016, 2016. 2016, my apologies. And um, made it all the way back, got shots in his freaking stomach to, to get healthy, made a promise that he'd make it to 30 starts. In, in 2018, it was magic. That whole second half of the season was amazing. Um, didn't make it to 30 starts, but he did this year. And uh, whether the inconsistency was there or not, um, Zach Wheeler found his way as a major league pitcher after mountains of adversity. I know I just said that, but I'm going to say it again because it's true. Yeah. Um, he, he nearly gave his career for this franchise. And I think that uh, if he is done here, Zach Wheeler is leaving here as an Maybe not an all-time New York Met, but he is certainly a fan favorite, and uh, I'll continue to be a Wheeler fan no matter where he goes. I will continue to be a Wheeler fan wherever he goes as long as it's not Atlanta. I don't have it in me, unfortunately. Um, I don't know, man. I root for Soroka when he's pitching against anybody but the Mets. He's fun to watch. I, uh, that's We're just wired different then. That's okay. I, I can't root for <laughs> – I have too many scars from the Atlanta Braves to ever root for 
them and their racist tomahawk shot. Um, okay. <laughs> My curtain call award is for the only other Met I could think of that's not probably not going to be here next year, and it's Juan Lagares. Gets this one out to right field, hit pretty well. Dyson back near the wall. It's out of here! Lagares the other way! Second home run of the day! It's Juan Lagares day at City Field! Nine to nothing, New York! Tim, trivia time. Can you name Love the it. three outfielders in Mets history that have won a gold glove? Oh, my God. You put me on the spot, and I'm going to embarrass myself. Hold on a second. Um, Ioannis Espedes. Nope. Well, okay. Okay, it's four because he technically won it for his time with the – okay. So, okay, four. There's four outfielders. My bad. Hmm. Uh, Beltran. Beltran's two. Hmm. Um, I'm really I'm racking my head here. Hold on one second. Well, I'll say this. The first one, I one of them I actually did have to look up when because I wrote the first two down. I guess I didn't write Cespedes down, but. Oh, 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 I got one. Go ahead. He was the first Mets player to win a gold glove, I want to say, and it was Tommy Agee. That is correct. 1970 gold yeah. glove winner, Tommy Agee. All right. And last but not least, the fourth one is Juan Lagares. That's um, right. Juan Lagares winning the 2014 Gold Glove and hitting 280 and having a war over five. Uh, obviously, in 2014, I wasn't looking at that, but in hindsight, that ends up being one of the better seasons. I, I just, he was like Andrew Jones in the outfield for a season, maybe not at the plate, obviously, but you started to think that in this this transitional season, when you thought the Mets actually had something going forward and could like look to 2015 as this incredible year where, you know, you got David Wright coming back. You got guys like Duda coming up and Darno is going to play a full season and look at this rotation. Now that they got, they, they got this gold glove center fielder uh, getting everything that's hit near him. Like my, my favorite anecdote about Juan Lagares was when Yoannis Cespedes came to the team. And he was talking about getting used to playing next to him. And he told a reporter, like, balls that are hit right at me, he's calling me off. Like, that's how good his range is. And obviously, like, stupid injuries. Like, not, not to call him stupid, but, like, very ticky-tack, fluke injuries halted any progress of him becoming an everyday player. It was nice to see that little two- to three-week stretch that Lagares had during the season because putting him in center field... I mean, he is such an above-average defender that it actually makes it a bit of even more of a positive when you can have him hitting as well as fielding. Um, I don't think the Mets will bring him back next year. I don't see a world where he's on the Mets next season um, with all the different other different guys that they're going to want to play next year. So, Juan Lagares, uh, your curtain call from me at least. Uh, thank you for the memories. You were on the 2015 World Series team. I am still upset that you weren't starting in center field in game one and we'll never forgive Terry Collins for it because uh, Escobar's first pitch or leadoff home run is a fly out if you're in center field. But uh, Juan Lagares, thank you for the memories, sir. And uh, we wish you that he is actually somebody if he ends up on a different team, not in the NL East of the Yankees that I'll be able to root for. That's absolutely. Next award is biggest win. This is obviously a team accomplishment. Um, I, 
I'm going to be biased and pick the game I was at. Obviously, there's a number of candidates for this award from the second half on, but I don't know how you can't pick Friday night against the Nationals, especially if you were in the building. Uh, down 6-3, going to the bottom of the ninth. All hope felt lost. I actually went to leave the game, and shout out to my bladder for making me at least still be in the building for J.D. Davis's at-bat, which kept the game alive. So you get the three-run homer from Todd Frazier. Two and one to Frazier. And Todd cranks oh. one. Deep left field. Down the line. That ball is out of here. Out of here. Todd Frazier ties the game. And then you get the walk-off from Conforto. And he drives one. Deep right field. Back goes Eaton. It's over his head. And the Mets win the ball game. Michael Conforto with his first career walk-off hit. And the Mets pull it out in the bottom of the ninth, 7-6. And at that point, I thought this team could do no wrong. I legitimately thought we were getting 2015 all over again. And it fell just short thanks to this bullpen. Um when I go to create the imaging for this show and look for highlights, it's the number one game I'm looking forward to rewatching. So shout out to August 9th against the Nationals, the my biggest win of the season. Well, I guess I, I answered this question in two ways. Um, I thought about when I felt that the Mets were really, really, really going to make this happen and make a run at the postseason. And that was Pete's walk-off walk on September 6th. Alonzo takes high ball four, and the Mets win it! A bases loaded walk in the bottom of the ninth. Lagaris comes in with a winning run, and the Mets yank it out. Five to four in the opening game of the series. And this time it's Alonzo who loses his shirt after his second walk-off RBI. Oh, okay. Uh, it was just too perfect after after the, you know, the string of wins and then a string of losses. They're finally getting their their, their bearings back. And it just it feels so it felt so perfect. It really did. Um, a bare chested Pete on the field. Uh, it doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> OK. Um, so as far as the, you know, the Mets at their postseason high or postseason chances high, that was probably it for me. It felt like they were still alive. The most important game the most important win the most important moment in my mind was sunday's win and dom cracks one deep right center back toward the wall it's out of here dom smith back from the injured list his first at bat in two months and he hits a walk-off home run in the season's final game because it, it because the future that's why yeah <laughs> like it, it's just so um it puts such a different shine on the off season. And I know that there's a long way to go and things, a lot of things are going to change before they take the field in Port St. Lucie in February. But, uh, there's just, a, a glow. I have, uh, I had a glow about me on Monday. I must've watched the replay of Dom Smith's home <laughs> run a thousand times. I can That's only imagine I, dude. Yeah. Before I even left to work and you could not wipe the smile off my face and seeing all Yankee fans all over the job site on, on Monday, and they're all getting ready. And, oh, how's your Mets? Where's your Mets at? Where's your Mets at? You know where my Mets are at, bro. They're playing golf today. They're having a cocktail today. They're enjoying themselves because they had a progress-filled season. And uh, a win like that on the last day of the season, it, it, it proves the resiliency. It 
it just it puts such a fantastic paint job going into the offseason. Who knows? It might even trick the Wilpons into spending a little money. Highly doubtful, but um, you know, you have to hope for the best. <laughs> hope indeed. Um <laughs> I think you nailed it with the 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 spin you can now not even like a spin because it's almost it's pretty much fact. The positive you could take from this season that the season ends with you getting a walk-off home run from one of your your guys that that almost symbolically Dumb Smith was the 2019 Mets like you you, you knock him down and then he you finally give him one last life and he knocks it out of the park um I I had I would have had such a different feel about the end of the season if they didn't have it end the way they did and now I like you said it's we're much more optimistic about the future than we are despite what Matt Eadhall tweets, a, a very positive season that you can look at from a very special group of guys. So, um, unfortunately, we now have to get a little bit negative here and talk about the the biggest loss or the worst moment of the season. Um, <laughs> I'll let you go first because it's two very different answers. Because one, I think, was the actual lowest moment, and then one was probably the the mathematically the lowest point of the season, you know? Yeah. Um, I guess after sweeping Cleveland on that big, important homestand, um, you know, Mets were riding high. It was a very, very high point in their season, I guess. A high watermark, you could, you could call it. Losing six in a row to the Cubs and the Braves, uh, not ideal. And Caratini smokes one down the right field line, and that ball is out of here. Caratini's second home run of the night, a three-run shot to put the Cubs in front in the seventh. Um, I didn't want to accept it at the time that that was it, but looking back, that was probably it. And they had other chances to make runs, and um, there were other missed opportunities, but, boy, you, you, you split those series. You lose a series, you win a series, however you want to split it up. You get swept one, you sweep one, whatever. Um, things could be a little different because those were – as close to must-win games as they had to, as they could have played at that point. And it's, um, looking back, you know, this is only from a fan's perspective. Imagine what the players feel like, knowing yeah. that they had such an opportunity in their hands. But, yeah, that was it for me, I think. That was the, that was the moment that, that was, uh, you know, I didn't want to believe it, and I eventually had to believe it, but that was, that, that was it. So, for mine, I had to go with a specific game, and... You know, throughout the first half of this season, it feels like it was years ago that the Mets were 40 and 50 and had the worst bullpen in baseball. Uh, the, it, this really was a tale of two seasons. And there were a lot of West Coast frustrating losses, like games that ended at 2.30 in the morning that you were so frustrated that you stayed up for. Uh, extra inning games that you just wanted the Mets to get one big hit. They did get that big hit, like the game of Milwaukee, uh, the game against Atlanta. The game against the Giants, uh, the game against the Dodgers, like they're the game against Arizona. There are plenty of games that the Mets lost at the hands of this bullpen that were gut punches, and this team kept on coming back. And I, I, I look through them all, and I still have to come back to one game. And for those of you that are listening, obviously you know. Hopefully, post production goes well. That I'm putting clips into this show about that from the 2019 season 
Well, there's one game that I'm dreading having to go back and get the audio for, and it's September 3rd against the Washington Nationals. Long drive, deep left field, back goes Nimmo, and the Nationals have won this game. Kurt Suzuki with a walk-off three-run homer in the bottom of the ninth. The Nets score seven runs in the bottom of the ninth and hand the Mets a devastating loss. Apologies that you guys had to listen to that. Um, man, you want to talk about the, the definition of a guillotine loss, the sudden uh, agony of defeat just creeping over you and what... Felt like it was going to be the start of a run, uh, the, the restart of a run. You were just reminded once again that this bullpen and this closer that you got in the offseason uh, is just having the worst possible year he could have had. And uh, it also, I think, propelled the Nationals to, to make their final run, knowing that the one team that they couldn't beat this year, the one team that had their number throughout the season – they had not just a comeback, but a historic comeback. The worst regular season loss in Mets history as far as ninth inning leads blown. Um, it's the lowest I absolutely felt this year. Uh, going Even like with them showing the determination and the never-say-die-ness about this team to come back t- less than 12 hours later to beat the Nationals and take two out of three in the series, uh, it was bittersweet because you could have swept the Nationals and finish the road trip five and one and come home to start September with legitimate chance to still make the playoffs. So um, I unfortunately have to go with that one as my low point, but thankfully that's the last negative we're going to talk about on this show. All right. That's enough negativity for me. I'm (laughs) getting depressed. All right. So we wrap up with two very big awards. Um, We start with the Cy Young. Let me get the not-so-obvious one out of the way and just talk about Seth Lugo a little bit, aside from the the guy that's going to win the like the National League Cy Young Award. Uh, so mine is Seth Lugo. Good-looking! And the ball game is over! Lugo gets the final six outs. The Mets have won eight in a row, 15 of 16, and have taken the first two games from the Nats as they win tonight 4-3. to three. Because I let Tim have first pick and he picked the Grom. <laughs> so mine is Seth Lugo. Uh, 80 innings pitched, a 2.70 ERA, uh, 104 strikeouts to 16 walks. That's an incredible strikeout to walk ratio. A .90 whip in 80 innings is absurd. And more specifically, uh, after July 2nd, so from July 2nd to the end of the season, Seth Lugo had 40 innings pitched, a 1.80 ERA, 51 strikeouts to four walks, uh, a 146 batting average against, a 204 uh, on base percentage against, a 386 slugging percentage against. 16 different times this season, Seth Lugo was asked to go two innings, and he did it scoreless. Um I don't know what his role wow. is in the future. A, I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, That's a mind blowing. That's a mind blowing stat. A mind melting stat. That's Jerry Garcia solo in 1989 stat. Just melt <laughs> well <my> done. <laughs> oh, what a callback. Um, he's the old school type of pitcher 
that comes in and finishes the game in the eighth inning. Like back in the 80s, this used to happen all the time with Orozco and McDowell. And it's why a lot of the old school pitchers look down on today's closers and like how Goose Gossage and Raleigh Fingers look down on Mariano Rivera because he was only pitching one inning and they were coming in in the seventh inning and closing the door. Well, Seth Lugo had an old school type of closer year where he would come in in the eighth inning to get six outs and he'd do it almost every time. I don't know what his role is on the team going forward. If they're just going to have to have like a Lugo day and then a bullpen for days that he's off and it's more traditional whereas with a seventh, eighth and ninth inning guy. But Seth Lugo you could argue he deserves MVP on this team because when he came back, the Mets went on a run and they finally had an answer for the end of games. And like he kind of lost a bit, a bit of steam in September. That happens when you're taxed the way that you were. Uh, but Seth Lugo, I, 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 I'm so happy that you're on this team. Uh, Amanda is a welcome addition to Mets Twitter as well. And I cannot wait to see what you turn into next year. And by the way, it will not be a starter. I'm warning you now, stretch yourself out this offseason so that way you can go multiple days in a row. Uh, so my Cy Young uh, is Seth Lugo, Tim. Um, uh, you know, there's no drum roll needed for Jacob DeGrom. Struck him out. He went right back to the changeup to get Gavin Lux. Eight strikeouts for DeGrom in seven scoreless innings. Um, we, we know his 2019 stats, 2.43 ERA, 2.67 FIP, seven wins above replacement. Just wow. Uh, over 11 strikeouts per nine, under two walks per nine. If this guy doesn't win NL Cy Young, um, there's something seriously wrong with the voting process. But By I the way, can I just interrupt you for a second? Dave Roberts, Please. the hell are you talking about? Oh, I didn't see Dave Roberts. So Dave quotes. Roberts, he after talk, he, he talked up for you. Well, after Ryu's, well, I guess before Ryu's last start, he said that he thinks Ryu is the NL Cy Young, but he thinks there's a lot of East Coast bias. Yeah, because the little engine, the small town Los Angeles Dodgers never get any attention, right? Are you kidding me? Yeah, he's got to say that. That's his pitcher. Even though Ryu came out and said that Degrom. Exactly. <laughs> like it's okay to he, state a fact. You know. If he didn't say it, the, the the media would say, "Oh, why didn't you come out and you know pine for your for your?" Uh, or, I guess or it was more just his reasoning was my frustration. Like, just talk about your pitcher. Don't give us this BS narrative that there's an East Coast bias when you play in Los Angeles. <laughs> Grain <laughs> of salt. Um, so, Jacob Degrom, we could focus on this season all we want. Um, he's been the most valuable Met player over the past few seasons, uh, no matter which way you slice it. Um, I, I pulled up some stats right before we went on the air. And this is going back to, I know we've talked about it before, when Terry Collins put his arm around Jacob. Mm, okay. I have his stats and his MLB ranks since that moment. And this is including uh, the eight earned runs and over four innings pitched he, he uh, led up versus, uh, excuse me, Texas that night. So since June 6th, 2017, not only does – I don't even think you want to hear his record. Over 84 starts, it's 32 and 25. Ouch. So, yeah. So since the middle of 2017, DeGrom's got a 2.35 ERA, a 2.58 FIP, 
18.9 wins above replacement, uh, 0.76 home runs allowed per nine, a 28.5% hard hit rate, and a 23.1% soft hit rate. All of those are best in the majors over that span. His 0.98 whip is third in the majors over that span. 10.89 strikeouts per nine is fifth. And 1.95 walks per nine is sixth. Um, what he's doing, and I know you and Brett talked about it last week, what he's doing is, is you know, borderline um, very special. I'll leave it at that. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. What he's doing is very special. But there's no question who the most important pitcher is, at least in my mind, on this team. Um, at a time when offense is at such a high value, as, as evidenced by MLB's um, tinkering with the baseball, for Jacob DeGrom to be doing what he's doing, he's um, he's he's going places that uh, few professional pitchers have ever gone. Like like, and would some of those pitchers be in the Hall of Fame? Like in, in like a museum I, in Cooperstown? I, I, I maybe maybe in some little museum in a nice little quiet <laughs> upstate town. Maybe I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, Andrew. I know I know what he's doing is so so special. Um, 2018, yes, I know that accounts for a big bulk of these amazing numbers. But notwithstanding, after, what, four bad starts this year, he's been the same guy. Um, what we're watching is, is brilliance, is greatness, is um, best of the best of the best. I, uh, God bless my father before he passed away. He saw DeGrom when he was just a young kid coming up. He, he was I was watching this game with him in 2017. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, this is when he got blown up in Miami. Well before that, but he said, "Boy, this kid's gonna be good." And he 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 he's freaking great, man. Just what he's done for this team, this franchise, um, for pitching as a whole. Just see that. Just show everybody, hey, look, it could still be done. There could still be brilliance when offense is at such a high, uh, a historical high, most home runs in the history of the game this season. So, uh, yeah, he's my pitcher of the. Mets, he's my pitcher of the majors. He's my pitcher of the fucking universe. He's just amazing. Indeed. Indeed. All right. <laughs> Sorry. I, I went overboard on that. No, Sorry, dude, man. I'm right there with you. I put him in the Hall <laughs> of Fame on Thursday. Don't forget that. Um, don't say those words. You're going to jinx it. I don't believe in jinxes. I believe okay, in how a, a, a guy that's into analytics. Do you believe in jinxes? Oh, dude, I, I'm a Mexican. <laughs> that is fair. Okay, you're not superstitious. You're a little stitious. Gotcha. Um, Just exactly. God bless. Okay, the time has come for the MVP, the most valuable player in the 2019 Mets. I will go first because, once again, Tim has the one that you're all hoping is said, and it's it should be unanimous, but I do think a case can actually be made that Jeff McNeil is the MVP of the 2019 Mets. And McNeil grounds one over the bag. That's a fair ball off the sidewall. That'll tie up the game. Ramos and Paddock are in. DeGrom stops at third. Jeff McNeil with a two-run double to get the Mets even. I'm not going to try and compare the two the two big guys on the team, two of the three All-Stars. You could argue it's a three-way tie, or maybe even a four-way tie if you want to put Lugo in there. But Jeff McNeil this year played four different positions, almost at a full-time level throughout 
multiple points of the season. And due to injury, he was asked to play right field. He was asked to play third base. He was asked to play left field. He was asked to play second base. And he did them all effectively. Um, there were times when he was asked to bat leadoff. It was times he was asked to bat second. He was times he was asked to bat third. And for about 90% of the season until he got hurt and came back and went through his first real slump, Jeff McNeil was the most consistent player on the Mets this year. And this this average that he had last year that people didn't think was going to be sustainable, this, this batting average on balls in play that people thought was a bit of a fluke last year, not only did he replicate it this year, but he superseded it into a 23 home run, uh, 75 RBI season, mostly batting leadoff, and a 917 OPS from a guy that people called a slap hitter that weren't paying too much attention to his minor league numbers. Um, this guy was in the top 10, and this is actually the perfect culmination for me doing this, these bunch of all these podcasts with Tim. The stats I'm about to use he was in the top 10 in the National League in weighted on base percentage, uh, weighted runs created plus. Uh, B war, F war, batting average, uh, on base percentage, doubles, and batting average on balls in play. Um, home runs are awesome. I'm not going to try and discredit. I actually think this is more just to give consideration to other guys. Uh, the most consistent player on the Mets this year, most consistent everyday player on the Mets this year was Jeff McNeil. And I wish the the our little flying squirrel a speedy recovery going into next season. And I can't wait to see what the next like five or six years of McNeil either batting first, second, or third, wherever they want to bat him, wherever they want to play him on the team. Uh, the Mets are very lucky that they've developed a, a versatile player like him. So my MVP for the 2019 season is Jeff McNeil. That was a wonderfully presented argument. Thank and you. It's wrong. Be, but <laughs> No, no, no. I'd be tempted to agree, to agree with you because consistency means a lot, especially in a 162-game season. Mm-hmm. Um, but... High fly ball into center field. This one is back at the wall. It is gone. A new rookie single-season home run king as Pete Alonso moves past Aaron Judge and stands alone with 53 home runs in his rookie season. Pete Alonso, uh, the polar bear... The, um, the exit velocity king that he is, uh, he breathed life into this fan base. Mm. He brought a team to life. Um, I mean, we don't see him in the clubhouse. We don't see him in the dugout. But he energized this organization from, you know, the, you know, from the fans running the bases on Sunday afternoon to the ticket takers to the the people up in the penthouse man these he he energized an organization he's marketable he's everything that you would want in a superstar and uh it just so happens he's breaking records left and right and he broke a franchise extra base hit record in his first season with the team in his first season in the majors you know that he was four extra bases shy of the major league uh extra base hit record for a rookie four Hal Trotsky did it in 1934. He had 89. <laughs> Pete 30s. Alonso yeah. finished the season with 85. Yeah. And that's like, that's, that's like, it, it's magical. It's what it is. It's freaking magical. And um, what he's done for the fan base, what he's done for his teammates, the camaraderie, I think it all points back to him. He's gregarious. He's outgoing with fans. He's outgoing with the media. He bears nothing 
and <laughs> that's not a play on words. He he shares. Ah, I just got story. it. No, it <laughs> well done, too. no, and it's not. I, I only realized it after I said it. But uh-huh. he does so much for um, this organization, so many different facets that you can't help but say this is the most valuable person in this in this organization in the entire county of Queens. He's probably the most valuable person walking around. Absolutely. Well, that will do it. Our 2019 awards for uh, the 2019 season. Um, A very special show for a very special group of guys that gave us a very special podcast for the last few months. Um, Obviously, you guys know this is my last show as full-time host. Also, my last show with Gotham Sports Network. And I just want to make this all about... Uh, my partner in crime that I've said at the beginning of the show, getting to do this podcast with Tim over the last few months. I've been challenged. I've been uh, forced to be informed as as informed as possible. Um, one of the smartest baseball minds I've ever talked to, even if we disagree about the Hall of Fame or the potential for Luis Guillorme. Um, I have had a blast talking baseball with Tim over the last few, honestly, for the whole year because even with the old iteration of this show, uh, Tim was very much involved throughout the, the 2019 season. Uh, his dude, your 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 optimism is uh, contagious, and every time I wanted to cancel or whatever KFC says uh, the season, you were always there with the the Mets are like a win away from going on a streak and turning it around. Uh, so I appreciate your willingness to learn and to work and uh, your drive to, to become good at this. And I, if I do say so myself, you've been an incredible co-host and somebody to work with throughout the season. And I look forward to becoming a listener of this show and uh, to just becoming a fan. So just thank you, Tim. And uh, this has been a blast. Same here, man. And if the, if we're going to be sending thanks out, I think I have to send them your way. Um, you know, I, I, I've always wanted to just kind of talk baseball. That's what I do. <laughs> and, uh, you've given me a, a kind of, not only a platform to talk to it and have people besides my wife or my daughters listen to me. Um, uh, you've kind of given me, a, um, you know, the, the, the foundation to build off something that I really enjoy doing. And, um, if you didn't, you know, reach out to me long time ago to, uh, to plant the seeds to say, Oh, maybe I could jump into that world. I never would have been here. And, um, the friendship that we've built, the fun that we've had on the show, uh, the future of the show, which you're still going to be involved in. I don't care if you say you're taking a break, you're going to be back. <laughs> you will be back. Um, but again, it's, you know, it, you're handing us over the keys and mesmerized. We couldn't be more grateful. Um, again, thank you to Gotham for, for allowing us to have the platform, uh, start a new show <laughs> after uh, after our first show and um, and now continue it in another forum. It's just uh, it's exciting. And I think that everyone at Metsmerized um, is just as grateful as I am. Uh, personally, I, again, it's been a blast getting to know you. And um, even, you know, even though you're not my every every week co-host anymore, I'm, I'm sure we're still going to spend time. We're still going to watch the Mets. We're still going to Maybe we might even complain about uh, argue about Luis Guillorme. Who knows? <laughs> we, we can only hope for so many things. But again, thank you so much, buddy. Um, this has been 
absolutely a blast, and uh, I'm looking forward to keeping it going. Yeah, it's been simply amazing, if I do say so myself. Um, that has been the simply amazing for the 2019 season. Um, I would say five star rating, review, like, and subscribe, but this is the last episode that's going to be on the old podcast feed. So that'll probably over the next week or so. Um, I'm, I don't know if an emergency pod will need to happen between Tim and the MMO guys because the Mets decided to fire Mickey, but we'll see uh, what happens over the, next, see. over the next couple of days. For some reason, the Mets are waiting a week before they actually make a decision on the manager because that's that's all the good candidates aren't going to be gone by then. But we're staying positive on this podcast. Um, Dude, if, if Willie Randolph gets fired at 2 a.m. on a road trip, I think they have to really get creative to make for Mickey Calloway. They should fire him during the ninth inning of Game Seven of the World Series. No, no, no! Fire him like two pitches into opening day. Oh, that would be more creative. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) actually, would be more creative. Show him the door. Bring security right into the dugout. Get him out of there. Well, knowing if you know the dynamics of the Mets, Degrom wants to go out for the seventh, but he's at a a certain pitch count. Brody texts Mickey, take him out of the game. No, I'm pushing him one more inning. Uh, the Mets have released a statement that Mickey Calloway will no longer be the manager after this. The after the Mets start against the Nationals. <laughs> hey, did you see that I I tweeted at Brody yesterday? I said, "Hey, Brody, I did, which is do why me I went, a favor. It went uh, call down, ex- yeah, call down to Mickey, bro. Get Dom in the game, and he he did it. And you're welcome, Brody. There that's you go. just the, that, that's the analysis I bring, bro. Uh, now you know. Uh, <laughs> if that actually <laughs> is the reason, that'd be awesome. I gotta be honest, that would be awesome. <laughs> oh, one day he's gonna respond to me. He's gonna. I have, dude. I have interview interview requests out there with Pete Alonzo, Dom Smith, uh, Todd Frazier. I reached out to him earlier in the season. I have him out to Brody. I reach out to the Mets media relations all the time. Like, dude, I you know I have questions to ask, and I swear I'll be gentle. I'm not gonna be like a a crazy Mets fan. I have serious, honest questions. I'd love to ask these guys. So please have, please have the Mets beat writer from Yahoo on the show, and his first question you should ask. I know. I I apologize. He just doesn't like me. Apparently, he doesn't like anybody. Somebody hurt him, and he takes it out on Mets. Okay. Um, No, I, I, I crossed the line. Hey, you know what, Andrew? Before you go, Matty Holt, I publicly apologize. I crossed the line, but it is what it is, buddy. I didn't even know. No, no, no. That's between, that's between I'll, I'll y'all. I, I actually appreciate people that are go out of their way to be contrarian. So that's I don't have that interaction with him that you do. Um, I, I I don't know. He had a tweet right. yesterday after the game that made me finally mute him. Um, I was going to say have him on the show. And the first question you say is who hurt you? And no. now that joke doesn't land. So never mind. <laughs> no, it's um. Yeah, we had a little, we had a, a public falling out, and uh, we, I guess he blocked me a long time ago. Oh, okay. So you I didn't even see the tweet. I, okay, never mind. I can't even <laughs> see the tweet. But um, there will be Mets beat writers coming on the next few weeks. Um, for those of you listening over at the new home at, uh, at MMO, uh, we have a couple of beat writers lined up. We have a couple of new friends coming in. Uh, it's going to be very exciting. So um, stick around. Uh, we'll, give you guys the information on where to find just follow the links you don't even got to you don't even need instructions just click the links there you <laughs> go there you go well you know where to go that's at metsmerizedonline.com or follow them on twitter at metsmerized um they're going to be available on itunes google play stitcher radio soundcloud all your streaming platforms wherever podcasts are available um thank you to everybody that's listened throughout the last last 
couple months of the season. We really appreciate all the feedback we've gotten. I've been overwhelmed by all the feedback I've gotten and then just people saying that they heard the show. And the, the, there's nothing that makes a podcaster feel better than when you reply to like the link of their show that they post out with something or like a comment that only somebody that listened to the show uh, would know. Uh, that that's always gone a long way with me. So I appreciate, even if you didn't t- tweet at me, I, I do appreciate you listening in general. Um, so thank you to all the listeners and everybody that subscribed throughout the season. I think there's only one thing left to say about the 20, 2019 New York Mets. Tim, any last words? Let's fucking go Mets. LFGM. And in the words of the immortal Gary Cohen, we are out of here. February 22nd, we'll see you in Port St. Lucie.